Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 125 with Hank Fortner. Hank provides some really cool tools when it comes to celebrating performance. And so you're going to learn one, how to create a culture of celebrating each other in the workplace, two, a quick approach to accelerate team camaraderie, and three, how regular questions can in fact direct what teammates think about. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items mentioned here, drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep125. While you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I'd recommend you check out some of our cool resources from the 10 Days to Winning at Work email course to the Gold Nugget email summary, which shares the insights of the guest in a quick email you can read in the morning in under two minutes. So here's Hank's story here. Adopt Together founder Hank Fortner understands both the harsh realities and sweet victories that are part of the adoption process. After seeing 36 foster kids move into and out of his parents' home in Waynesville, Ohio, Hank saw the transformational power of adoption when his parents gave forever homes to eight kids from five different countries. Adopt Together is a nonprofit crowdfunding platform that bridges the gap between families who want to adopt and the children who need loving homes. Hank is also a popular speaker who shares his leadership lessons learned along the path of creating Adopt Together with clients such as Sony and Cardinal Health. Here's Hank. Hank, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Well, you have a fun, unique, interesting childhood background story. Can you give us a little bit of the scoop on what it's like growing up with 36 foster kids in the home? Yeah. So I grew up in Ohio and my mom and dad had three of us biologically. And then my dad said that God put him on earth to make my mom happy. And my mom said that God put her on earth to be a mother. And so after three of us biologically, we opened up our home and we were a state certified foster home. And over the seven year period, we had 36 foster brothers and sisters. And as you can imagine, if you put 36 kids anywhere, now obviously 36 children were not in our home at one time. It was usually only the three of us and then like maybe three other kids, mostly two or three at a time. And if you do that in any sense, there's some chaos. Meal times were pretty insane. Mornings were just a total every man for himself free for all. <laughs> but it was amazing. I think I would say outings were probably the most chaotic. When we would load up in my parents, my mom had a 15 passenger van, like a people mover. Yeah. And we would get out of the car and go to Walmart or to the grocery store or whatever. And people would just stare at us like this was some kind of freakish program. That was probably <laughs> our our main experience. It was amazing. Well, tell me, I'd like to know, how do you think that's left marks on you in a positive way? Then the here and now, like, how do you think you, your personality or your preferences are different as a result of having been shaped in that environment? Yeah, it's interesting. I think it affected me and my two biological siblings. I think it affected us all different, me being the opposite. My biological sister and biological brother are very they have a draw circle around their family and family is everything. And the way that translates is if you aren't family, you'll know that you'll know you aren't family. Mm. For me, family is everything was exactly the way I responded, but I responded in a sense that family's not blood, last names, color, or ethnicity. 
family is anybody that I say, I love this person. So that translated for me because it became anywhere I met a person, I was like, hey, this could be my future brother or a person that's close as a brother, so to speak. My wife and I got in a fight right before our wedding because I wanted to put a guy on the guest list that I had met a couple weeks earlier. And she's like, (laughs) what are you talking about? We don't know this guy. I'm like, no, we're going to be close. I can feel it. And in her mind, that was like such an offensive thing to assume. Like, we're not inviting people we do know. And you're going to invite this guy you've only known for two weeks. I'm like, no, we're going to be friends. And I think that's how it affected me most is when I meet people, I don't have bars up or walls up. I don't live by the no new friends philosophy. If anything, I live by the everyone is potentially family philosophy. I think that's probably how it affected me most. Oh, that's really cool. And when it comes to families, one of your main claims to fame is you've done some great work that enables families to get put together. So, boy, I'm sure we could talk for hours about this, but could you give us the couple minutes tale of what is Adopt Together and how did it you know, come into existence? Yeah, yeah. So my parents, you know, after 36 foster kids, we adopted eight kids from six different countries. So I have eight brothers and sisters, all multi-ethnic. And my parents hit a certain age where they couldn't adopt anymore. The countries wouldn't accept an age gap of 45 years or more. Mm. So my dad called. I remember he called me right after he left his company. And he said, hey, I really want to do something in adoption. We want to start a foundation. Think about it. And I did. And I called him about a month later and said, hey, well, let's start a, and I think at the time I used the word Kiva. Let's start Kiva for adoption. Ah. I had a friend who wanted to adopt and they came to me and said, hey, adoption is so expensive. How did your parents afford this? And I just said, I don't know. I didn't, I'm, when you're spending your parents' money, you have no concept <laughs> that money is real or right. So if any of your listeners are here and they have access to their parents' money, they should spend that as much and as often as they can. <laughs> but I think for me, I didn't realize that that was the barrier. And what I came to find out is that 87% of families who consider adoption don't move forward because they say it's just too expensive. Mm. So I said, hey, let's launch a website that people can donate to this family. And there was nothing out there like that. So Kickstarter, GoFundMe, there was no crowdfunding B2C concept that was out there yet. Kiva was a micro lending, which was about all that the market had kind of seen. So I called my dad. I said, hey, let's start one page. And in his wisdom, he said, let's actually start a page, but let's build it like a platform. And I think he made a joke. He's like, as if we have a hundred families. And I was like, right, right. Like there's a hundred families who would do this. Let's just do it for my one friend. But we built the software and he has a software database engineering background. So he engineered it and we found some designers and we got the thing together. And then we launched it on my birthday. And instead of asking for money, we looked at everybody and said, hey, would you support this family through this website and pulled it up on iPads? I think the iPad had just come out, I think. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we were just excited to launch it. And that was five years ago. And it still is and has been the first ever and world's largest crowdfunding platform for adoption. And we have helped 2,500 families raise about $10.7 million to bring mm. their kids home. Oh, that is beautiful. Well, thank you. That's so cool that you know the world is blessed by having this present now. So awesome, awesome work. And I'm also curious to hear in your photos, you have smiley faces drawn on your hand. What's the skinny there? Yeah, absolutely. So the skinny on the smiley face is about two years in. So in 2014, we were going to hit our five millionth dollar. And I said, we got to celebrate this. We got to throw a party. One of my advisors and friends and a huge supporter of Adopt Together has been Scott Harrison from Charity Water. 
And I pitched the idea to him at the very beginning, wanted him to do it. And he said, no way, this is for you. And every time I would send him a landmark that we had hit, like every time I said, hey, we hit a million dollars, we got our, our 501c3, whatever, he would only reply with these three words, throw a party. Because <laughs> he knew that the community has to be a part of what's happening and is the movement. So I said, I know what Scott's going to say. We're about to hit five million. Let's throw a party. So we <laughs> said, let's just throw a party on World Adoption Day. And we called the UN. We looked all over the internet. We looked everywhere. And we could not find a World Adoption Day. We found out that it did not exist. And <laughs> so I said, well, we know what we're going to do for our five millionth dollar. So on November 9th, was our in 2014 we launched the first ever world adoption day and we invited people to put a smiley face on their hand and use the hashtag and it was incredible we had ambassadors from over 13 countries it was celebrated in over 33 countries we were trending on instagram and twitter and facebook for the entire day and we just had our third world adoption day and it's been incredible we've had celebrities like ellen degeneres and charlize theron and we've had shaquille o'neal and athletes from every direction you can imagine. It's been really amazing to watch people from a grassroots level around the world, as well as celebrities, get behind the movement of World Adoption Day. Oh, that is so cool. Yes, it's really fun to see, too. It just puts a smile on your face when you're looking at those photos of folks looking happy and they've got their hands extended and there's a smiley drawn on it. So that's so cool. Well, we could chat about your social entrepreneurial journey, but there are other shows that specialize more so in that. And we're talking more so about kind of the universal skills, you know, that help folks flourish at work. And so it Mm. seems you've done a fine job of teasing out some of the key components that have made things successful here at Adopt Together and your other initiatives. And you've even sort of had the opportunity to package that and speak with some large audiences and clients such as Sony and Cardinal Health on things like leadership and teaming. So could you lay it on us? You know, what are some of the key takeaways, insights, learnings about leadership that you share with these big clients? Yeah, absolutely. So in the workplace, I would say my biggest mentor and now my partner in some initiatives is a guy by the name of Keith Ferrazzi. Uh He wrote a book called Never Eat Alone. He wrote another book called Who's Got Your Back. And he was really a huge mentor and a huge influence in my life and is a very close friend. And what we put together and really how I informed Adopt Together and World Adoption Day is we saw so many similarities to not only sort of the tribal focus that I had, but also for him, the corporate focus. And as we got together and as we started dialoguing, we realized that so much of what we did were similar, but just in different worlds. His was very B2B and mine was very consumer to consumer and peer to peer was kind of the world we lived in. So when it comes to Cardinal Health, when it comes to Sony, when I come to giving talks, in most places, what I find is that is the same with World Adoption Day, the same with Adopt Together is that everybody wants to be a part of something and they want to know that what they're a part of matters. Mm -hmm. The quickest way to kill momentum with employees, the quickest way to kill momentum with your team is to make them think that their input and that their influence is not going to be celebrated. It's not going to be measured. Is that their efforts are not in any way, shape, or form going to make a difference to the whole. Right. And all of us, no matter what organization we're in, you're a small part of a big thing. You're a small part of a whole whether that's you being one of a hundred donors to bring a child home, you of one of a hundred thousand smiley faces that might cross the world, whatever it is, everybody knows that they're a part of that small piece. 
but it's so essential that people are celebrated. So when I think about ways in which people are in leadership, there's a few thoughts I have when it comes to leading a team. The most important thing you can do is you have to know your team and you have to make sure they're known by somebody. There's an old cliche that says you have to have a best friend at work. And if you have a best friend at work, you'll stay. I think that's a little exaggerative. I don't know that that's the right move, but a person wants to be known at work. If you lead a team, you want to know intimate details about that person's life. Bill Clinton, for example, is one of the guys who he's known for knowing his butler's grandson's favorite football team, that he would remember all of these things. And people who had worked with them just felt extraordinarily close because Bill Clinton's ability to remember things about their life. The most important thing is that your team feels known. One of the things that Keith taught me that I implement in really in any organization or team that I lead additionally and when I go and speak is there's a tool called a personal professional check-in. You can do this in any team. You can do this in any scenario. You can do this in a social scenario. You can do this in a public scenario. I do this with executives of Fortune 500s. And it's amazing what you have is each person gets one minute to share how am I doing personally and how am I doing professionally. What that does is it doesn't start us off with agendas or small talk or any randomness. What it does is it starts us off right away, starting to feel empathy for each other and calming down that sort of reptilian survival, stress, anxiety brain and wakes us up to each other, that there's human beings across the table from each other, and gives your team members a sense of being known. So the first thing I would do is just be aware, do I know my team members? Do I know their kids' names? Do I know who they are? Am I communicating with them about their personal life in addition to their professional life? And do they know each other? So facilitating dialogue and conversation among your team so that they're for each other and that they can implement each other. I think being known is really, really essential. I think secondly, it's really important that people are celebrated. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier, In order for a person to be celebrated, you've got to be able to measure their work. You have to be able to acknowledge that they are the ones that made that contribution. And you have to celebrate them in big ways or small. And that may not mean that you have to figure out a way to give them a huge raise. You don't have to throw a party for someone every time they, quote unquote, do their job. But there's this generational gap where doing your job used to be just do your job. And if you did your job and you did really, really well, that got you to zero. That meant you were like, okay, well, you're not bad at this. You're good at this. But in this day and age, we live in a world where when people go to extraordinary efforts, you need to acknowledge that. And in my experience, both with teams and in what I've worked with companies on, when you can celebrate people and you can celebrate their unique contribution, it's the same as it comes to a donors with Adopt Together. It's the same when it comes to World Adoption Day. The same as it comes with a company like Cardinal Health with tens of thousands of employees. You want to acknowledge their unique contribution because it honors their dignity as human beings. And it helps them see that what I'm doing here is actually making a difference to the people I'm doing it with. So if they're known and if they're celebrated, what you have is you have a sense in which people are actually a part of a team. One of the things that Keith and I talk a lot about is this idea of radical interdependency. And for us to actually succeed, we have to support each other. We have to believe in each other and we have to actually be for each other. For me to succeed, I have to be for the people who are on my team to the service of the mission that we've all signed on for and that we'll all get paid for and that we all get measured by. But then I also have to be for them independently. I'm the kind of guy who I like to celebrate when a person transitions. Mm -hmm. I like to graduate people out of working for me or with me as often as possible, where if it feels like a person's heart or desires or feels like their mindset or their career trajectory is going in a different way, I like to end that early and often and just go, hey, it looks to me like this is the direction you're going find the first opportunity in that direction and we'll celebrate that with you. Mm. I think that's another big part is I think it's a matter of 
looking at it and saying, hey, I am only as good as the team that I'm around. And that means that I'm going to have to invest in them as individuals. I'm going to have to know them. I'm going to have to celebrate them. And I'm going to have to foster an environment of radical interdependency. Oh, there's so much good stuff there. And so I want to dive in a little bit on some of the tools in terms of, you mentioned sure. the one minute check-in. And this reminds me of my days at the Bridgespan Group doing nonprofit consulting. It was funny. We did not constrain ourselves to one minute. We had a bunch of, you know, nonprofity feelers. And it, <laughs> you know, it might take 25 minutes for a group of four. Sure, <laughs> to, you got to be vigilant. And, and you do, <laughs> you have to be, you almost feel like you got to be rude because here's the thing. If you do a personal professional check-in the first three times and it takes a half an hour and now the meeting has to be rushed, then everyone's going to roll their eyes when you do it again. You got to right. be like vigilant and you as the leader, you got to start that off. You got to go, look, here's where I am. Now, the only way that a personal professional check-in works is if the leader displays vulnerability. You have to start off by saying, my wife and I are in premarital counseling. That's how I'm doing personally. Hmm. It's a difficult season for us. And professionally, I'm feeling a little nervous about us as a team. I don't know if we're going to make our, you have to hit it and you have to hit it hard and you got to get there fast. If a person's going to take 20 minutes, you're never going to get this to be a part of the culture of your team. So yeah, you have to be rude and just be like, hey, Carolyn, I know you're having a hard day. We need you to give it to us quick. Does that make sense? Like you just, you kind of have to step in because I think there's a sense in which when you blend the personal and the professional, people are very hesitant to do that because they're worried about the guy who would complain about the gout and his grandmother and his aging parents. And they're worried about the guy who would sort of word vomit on people. Mm -hmm. And that is true. Everyone has that guy at work that you avoid because you're like, oh, geez, he's going to tell me about his kid's soccer game again. You know, like I don't have the bandwidth mentally for that. Mm -hmm. But what I find is that people, those are what I would consider like outbursts because they don't feel like there's an integration of personal and professional lives. So they're doing that, which that should only be a signal that if you integrated the personal and professional amongst the culture of your community, then you wouldn't have that. And you'd actually find a way that two seconds about the soccer game could turn into about 30 minutes of really productive work talk. Does that make sense? Oh, that is so so good. The person who is vomiting on you about their personal life, all that's happening is it's their insides and their psyche going, we're pretending like my personal and my professional are not integrated, but I'm only one person. I don't have a personal self and a professional self. If I'm not good, if my wife and I are not good, I'm not going to be good in this meeting either. And I think that's what we have the opportunity to integrate is the integrating those two and being really vigilant about the boundaries around that uh, can create a really healthy culture. Oh, that is potent. And so, Hank, could you give us a demo right now? If I want to do a personal professional check-in with you one minute today, what would you say? All right, I'll get there quick. On a professional level, I feel simultaneously overjoyed and overwhelmed. I have had more opportunities come my way in the last six months than I've ever had in my life. And I feel a little bit like my friend describes my life right now as a rumspringer, <laughs> which is when the Amish kids are given a year to kind of do whatever they want. I sort of feel liberated to kind of go, I'm just going to say yes to everything until it becomes a no. And so on a professional level, I feel just exhilarated and yet simultaneously like I've overcommitted in a way. On a personal level, I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and they are the biggest joys of my entire life. I love being around them. And the crisis is as the professional level increases, that's less time to be with my girls. So I fight that tension probably every day. That's where I would be on the personal level. Mm. Oh, that is good. Thank you. I'd also like to follow up. So you gave us a great tool with the check-in. Does another tool come to mind? Maybe tool is not even the word, but 
you know, there's so many different ways to celebrate people. Could you maybe just give us a hit list of a few of your favorites? Yeah, I think one of the best ways to do it is you pick a person. I used to do this for birthday parties and it got a little intense. So now I do it for workspaces, which is you pick a person and everybody goes around and they give a toast to that person. And the toast is the oldest way of celebrating a person and gives them a perfect excuse to say things that would feel awkward emotionally to say over a water cooler or one-on-one. Yeah. When it comes to a toast, so I'll do that over lunch. Well, you don't have to have any alcohol. It can be a totally dry environment. It could be like a Mormon church staff or something. Mm -hmm. And you could still accomplish the same thing of saying, hey, one at a time, we're going to get a chance to give people a toast. On birthdays, I flip it around. So when it's someone's birthday and it's 10 of us at dinner for a friend's birthday, I let them give it a toast. And I tell them, you get to go around all 10 people and you get to tell us what you admire about every person here and why you invited us to be a part of your dinner. Because it's counterintuitive, it becomes really exciting. I think you can do the exact same thing with your team. And when you have a person on your team that you know is killing it, you invite the team to say, hey, we're all going to spend this lunch and we're all going to toast Carolyn, Sarah, Mark, Dina. We're going to toast their efforts and how incredible they've been. And you'll be amazed if you create that as a practice within your organization, how people will start to create a category in their brain for catching people doing amazing things. One of the things we know about the human brain is that it's impossible for your brain to ignore questions. So if I ask you a question and I say, Pete, what color is the car parked in the first space outside of your building? (laughs) You'll be like, I don't know. But then if I ask you every single day you come to work, Pete, what color is the car parked outside of your building? When you walk, you won't even realize you're doing it, but your brain will be like this annoying douche guy is going to come over to me and he's going to ask me what the first color. And I'm going to look over and you're going to see it. And then you're going to say it's black. That's what color the car is. It's the exact same thing when it comes to team leadership. You as a leader, you have the opportunity to create brain buckets, for lack of a better phrase, for what you want your people to see. So when you ask questions, what questions you ask are going to determine the things your people see. So you ask, hey, how can we celebrate Dina? How can we celebrate Sarah or Annie? Then people will start to go, oh, it's Dina's dinner. I better start paying attention to how she's operating. I better start paying attention to how we're interacting. I better start paying attention to what it is. And you'll have your team spotting each other, being successful and doing well. And you'll actually have them celebrating that without the formality of a toast. Mm. That is so good. That's so good. I also want to cover quickly. So on your speaking page, you mentioned that your favorite topic is spirituality. And so I'd like to get your take, having sort of straddled the world as a teaching pastor, as well as doing some cool stuff with corporate folk. How you know does spirituality have an impact on folks being awesome at their jobs? Yeah, you cannot divorce a person's spirituality from their psychology or their mentality or really their career. So for me, it's all entirely integrated. So it's a hypocritical statement to say my favorite topic is spirituality because I come from the camp that says that everything is actually spiritual. Okay. How you are as a father, how you are as a husband, how you are as a human being is a spiritual act. And so when I love talking about spirituality is I love to sit down and I love to have dialogues with people about how they sense that what is happening in the back of their mind. Oftentimes, spirituality really is that space inside of us that we're less likely to articulate. The space inside of us that, as my friend Science Mike describes, it transcends language. There are things that happen to the human existence and things that happen in your existence that transcend language. 
you don't even have words for it. You feel this when you're in love. You feel this when you have kids. You feel this when you're in a beautiful place. You feel this when you have soldiers with PTSD who don't talk about what happened. They're not keeping a secret what the heinous things that happened to them actually transcend language. These things are across the spectrum of human experience. So when it comes to your spiritual life, you have a spiritual life within you. What I love doing is I love dialoguing with that and exploring what it's like to see what's happening to us spiritually through the lens of what happens to us as fathers and as dads, what happens to us as husbands and wives, what happens to us as individuals in our workplace. So if you're leading a team or if you're at work, when you're unwell spiritually, meaning if when your interior world is not healthy, you're not going to fully excel at your job. When you are unwell spiritually or if your team is unwell spiritually or there's a bad vibe, and we use different words for it like vibe or energy. When there's a bad energy in your team, you're not going to achieve all the numbers you need and you're not going to get to that right place. What needs to happen is realize that growth and potential and being awesome at life Because I love that your podcast, Pete, is all about being awesome at your job. But I think being awesome at your job requires you to be awesome at life. Because here's the deal is if you're not a good father or you're not a good husband or things are really crappy at home, it's going to be really hard for you to turn that switch off and go, well, at least I'm really good here at the office. There's Mm going to be places where that suffers. And I think to be awesome at life, you have to be aware of your spirituality. Take a deep breath and connect to your higher power. You've got to, in my language, I'll use the language, you've got to connect to God. That involves prayer, that involves meditation, and that really involves inviting yourself to be open to that non-language experience that happens inside your body. Lots of friends and I, we do a lot of research and we do a lot of reading and a lot of exploring around the values that occur to your body and around the upside of a spiritual life, regardless of what you believe. So even if, let's just go this way, This is like the modern Pascal's wager is even if God does not exist, the practice of spirituality is good for your brain. It's good for the longevity of your life and it's good for your health. You're less likely to die a week that you attend a religious service. You are 40% less likely to die the week you attend a religious service and your lifespan and likelihood for heart disease, your likelihood for heart disease decreases by 33% if you meditate once a week. Your lifespan is likely to increase by 18% if you just have a regular spiritual practice in your life. So for me, I have a deep spiritual faith, obviously, but I know that the spiritual practices are good for everyone. It's good to help them become great dads, great fathers, great humans, and be awesome at life so that they too can be awesome at their jobs. Mm, Thank you for that. Well, so now you tell me, Hank, is there anything you want to make sure that you put out there before we shift gears and you quickly tell us about some of your favorite things? Yeah, I would say, you know, I love doing podcasts like this. And Pete, I think your audience are my people. And there's a woman named Martha Beck who wrote a book called Finding Your Way in a Wild New World. And she talked about the tribe. She gives this concept of the tribe. And I feel like, Pete, the reason that you reached out and the reason that I get to be on your podcast is because you're a part of the tribe. So for me, I'd love to stay connected to anybody who's listening and hearing and going, hey, I like that. I'm, I'm in the process of writing a book. And so I would love you guys to connect. I have a podcast called Hank Presents on iTunes. And then I also have an email list where I send weekly emails where I help people not only with their work life, but I help them with their personal and their spiritual life as well. So you can find all that at hankfortner.com. So I just invite you to join me or you can join me. I'm most active on Facebook and Instagram. My Instagram is just at Hank. Cool. All right. Well, appreciate it. So let's dig into it a bit. Tell us, for starters, a favorite quote, something that inspires you. 
so I don't have to commit all the way through. He's <laughs> one I actually just put on my Instagram. It inspired my next live event that I'm doing is Charles Bukowski said, what matters most is how well you walk through the fire. And for me, I fundamentally believe that life is an adventure and it is a wildly typically hazardous experience and there will be fire. And it's about how you face the fire, both internally and externally. It's about how you embrace this wild, amazing life. So for me, that's my favorite quote right now. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or piece of research? There's a book called How Words Can Change Your Brain by Andrew Newberg. It's both of those things. It's a book that is study and research about how language centers in the brain can actually alter your neural paths. And if you're a leader, if, yeah, it doesn't even matter. If you're a human being that interacts with other human beings, you need to read that book. It gives you just a sense of how language, both speed and pace of language, how dictation, how words, how self-talk, self-narrative, how the language center of your brain has just an unbelievable capacity to both influence people and influence yourself as well. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. And do you have a favorite tool, whether it's a piece of hardware or software or app or product service that helps you be awesome you ask, I just got the iPad Pro, the big 12-inch oh, yeah. one or 13-inch one. That thing is amazing with the pencil and the keyboard. I don't think I'm ever going to buy a laptop again. Awesome. Well, thank you. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that helps you be more awesome? That is a great question. CrossFit is the first thing that comes to mind. When I'm physically fit, I feel like I can do anything. When I'm not physically fit and I feel soft and jiggly and out of shape, I sort of feel like I'm dying. So maybe that's personal. <laughs> but my favorite habit is when I can get into a CrossFit gym and I've never been injured in CrossFit. I know there's a lot of people who have be, probably because I was never good at sports. So I don't have that like I need to beat everybody mentality. But CrossFit has probably been one of the most life-changing habits of my life. And I do that as often as I can. Oh, cool. And would you say there's a particular sort of articulation of your message or a resonant nugget you share that really seems to get people sort of sharing on social media or nodding their heads or taking notes with fury? Like a Hank original quote. Yeah, I would say a Hank original quote. The first one that comes to mind is that you are more powerful than you realize. Mm, okay. And you mentioned the best place to get in touch is over at your website. That's hankfortner.com. Yep, hankfortner.com. Or to get in touch with me on facebook.com slash hankfortner. Facebook, I'm super interactive there. I respond within the hour. So I just got verified on Facebook, which gives you this amazing app that helps you do that. It's really been a blast to connect with everybody. Oh, cool. Well, congratulations. Uh, <laughs> and would you say you have a particular final call to action or challenge for those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I think if you're seeking to be more awesome at your job, the most important thing you can do is care for and know and have the back of the people to your right and left. The more people are in this dog-eat-dog world, I had a conversation with a guy today at lunch where he said, I don't know what it is about Los Angeles, but it feels like there's just politics everywhere and everybody's one conversation away from screwing their friends. Hmm. And for me, I just feel that's the tragic thing. And I think if you want to be awesome at your job, be awesome to the people at your job. Be awesome to the relationships at your job. Be loyal. Be fiercely resistant to gossip and to backbiting and throwing people under the bus. And be the kind of person that people can trust and be for people, whether that's in your company or outside your company as human beings. And I think what we're going to see as that catches on, is we're going to observe that people are going to move to a place where we all are healthier as a collective and as a whole. If you want to be awesome at your job, you have to believe in people and you've got to get to that place where the people who believe in you can be trusted with that. Mm. 
Beautiful. Well, Hank, this has been such a treat. Thank you for taking this time amidst your myriad of opportunities. I wish you much luck in navigating them and hope they work out in an optimal way. Amazing. Thank you, Pete, so much. And I love your podcast. I love what's happening. I just, I love that there'd be people who'd listen to this and say how to be awesome at my job. For you to invest in yourself to be awesome at your job, the sky is the limit for a person who's willing to do the work on themselves. So that would be my admonishment. My last words is, I get to interact with thousands of people, employees, CEOs, bosses. I get to interact with thousands of employees at all sorts of stages around the world. And what I find is the singular habit that gets people to succeed and gets people to stop is they're willing to do the hard work on themselves, to acknowledge what needs to change and to move forward and to do the work to grow. And I feel like, Pete, your podcast is a part of that. And so I'm really grateful to be a part of that and hope anything I've said gives people who are listening some of the tools to move to their highest self. Mm. Excellent. Well, thank you. And I think it has. And this has been a treat. So keep on rocking. Excellent. Thank you, Pete. You have a great one. I love that check-in approach in that it is short, succinct. It gets to the good stuff and really builds a sense of camaraderie, folks caring about each other in a way that's doable. And you can sort of grow into the level of vulnerability that you can share and model getting more and more and more trust. And so I loved it. I hope you did too. And once again, if you want to recap some of the things mentioned here, the links or read the transcript, you can find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep125. And I do encourage you, please push the subscribe button if you haven't already. If you do, you will be sure to catch folks like our next guest, Dr. Melanie Greenberg is a psychologist who has a world of expertise when it comes to managing stress. Hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 